Well, good morning. It's great to be here again. I can't even remember the last time I was here. Maybe like, I was going to say October, right? Yeah. So October's always a good month because it's my birthday. <laughs> and Canadian Thanksgiving. So it's always a great month. But it's, uh, thank you for having me back. It's wonderful to be here with you guys uh, once again. And uh, have the privilege of... Uh, of sharing what God has laid on my heart for us this morning. Um, I, uh, to Pastor Doug and Donna, I hope you guys are enjoying your time. I don't know if you're watching live this morning, but uh, I pray that you guys are resting and just enjoying wherever you're at and the beauty that God has around you this morning. And for those of you joining in, I'm glad to have you with us. Let me just uh, share a quick word of prayer and then we'll, we'll get going. Father God, um, you know I'm a weak man, but a weak man who believes in a great God. There's no great men or women. There's only a great God and weak men and women who find their power in you because power is made perfect in our weakness. And where we are weak, you are strong. And so I'm grateful for that this morning, God. So you come and be my strength through this weak man, and you come and speak the words that you have for your people this morning. I'm a vessel. You have the microphone. I am just the speaker. <laughs> and so you come and speak and have your way. And I pray this because of you, Jesus, in your name. And God's children said, Amen. Well, I want to, uh, as I was pondering this morning on what I was going to share with you, um, I was thinking of a story that I haven't thought of for ages and ages, and it's a story that came from my mentor, um, who uh, he's, he passed away in 2011, and he, he did the same thing I did. He went around sharing the message of Christ, traveled all around the world, um, and, uh, and I remember him telling me this story that I want to share with you, because it speaks right into what I want to share with you guys this morning. Um, there's about this lady, and she grew up in, in a communist country. And it was very strict there, and uh, you weren't allowed to do many things. And it was a time where people were getting sick quite a bit. I think it was tuberculosis, things like that. And I can't remember what the exact disease was, but her son caught this disease, and he was getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And so the soldiers just got tired of having to bury all these dead people. So this lady and her son... We're, we're around these soldiers and the soldier says your son's going to die anytime so we want you to walk out to that field and bury him because we're not burying him he's, not, he, he's dying any second so go start digging and I mean it, it was cold winter and so the ground wasn't exactly the digging type of season to dig and so they gave her the shovel and said walk out there and bury your son we're not doing it and so she started walking and she started digging and she looked back, and the soldiers were just talking amongst themselves, so she kept walking a little farther, and she dug another hole, right? And with each hole that she dug, her son seemed to get motivated to feel better and better as she went around <laughs> digging a hole. And so she walked a little further and dug and dug and dug until she got right out of the sight of the soldiers. And at that point, the son's looking up at Mom. Mom, I'm starting to feel better, I promise you. I'm feeling better. I'm feeling much better all of a sudden. <laughs> And so he got up, and they just kept walking and walking and walking until they crossed the border, and they got out of the communist country. 
And so she just walked straight across. And so they got out of there to a free country, whatever, uh, for, for protection. I can't share what, what it was and stuff like that just to keep her protected. But um, they crossed the border and they got away and they got away free. And so they lived this free life. So uh, my mentor, Michael, he, he met this lady as he was traveling to this country and he met her. And she's an older lady now. She was, I think, in her early 90s. And she had this little apartment and, uh, and Michael went to go visit her. And he'd visit her every time he'd go there because she had such an interesting story. And, and God had brought her through so much and she'd seen so much in her life. But she saw a God who always met our needs. And so Michael was there visiting one time and she was about to be evicted. And it looked on the door and Mike, and Mike came and said, listen, dear sister, you're 90 years old. You're about to get evicted today. Like we have to figure something out or else by 6 o'clock p.m. today, they're going to kick you out. And he says, we need to come up with a plan. What are we going to do? And so Mike looked at her and, and he said, what are we going to do? She goes, Michael, I want some chocolate. And Mike says, chocolate? Forget the chocolate. You're about to get kicked out of your apartment today. We have to come up with a plan. So let's think about this. What do you, what do you think we should do? She goes, I want some chocolate. And Mike said, would you just drop the chocolate? We, we have, you're 90 years old. You cannot live on the street. We really have to figure out what we're going to do with you. And she looked at him and again said, Michael, I want chocolate. And Michael said, she's not going to get off the chocolate thing. All right, let's go. So he grabs her hand, brings her down the stairs, out into the street, and there was a chocolate store across the road. And they walked over to the chocolate store, went in, and there's all kinds of different chocolate, and Mike's kind of in a bit of a huff. What are we doing here? We have to figure out a plan and find her a house because she's going to be evicted today, and we're at the chocolate store. And so she looks around and she's just, hmm, which one should I have today? And she's all excited and she's at total peace and Mike's just in a huff, like, let's get this chocolate and get out of here and figure out what we're going to do. And she's taking her jolly old time looking around and she goes, oh, I think I'd like that one right there. So Michael says, fine. And he says, okay, we'd like that chocolate right there, pays for it. And then she goes to sit down in the chocolate store. And he says, what are you doing? She goes, I told you I want some chocolate and I'm, I'm about to eat it right now. And oh, so Michael sits down with her and he is just getting madder and madder. And with every bite that she takes, she goes, mm, oh, Michael, this is so delicious. It's so good. You should try some. Mike's like, I don't want any chocolate. I want to figure out what we're going to do with you because you're about to be kicked out onto the street. And then she takes another bite. Oh, Michael, you should taste this chocolate. It's so delicious. And he's just more and more of a huff. He says, sister, would you just chow down that chocolate so we can figure out what we're going to do with you today? And she looks at him. Finally, she looked at him, and she looked up. She goes, Michael, stop it. God has been looking after me for 90 years. He's got me through communist country. He healed my son. He provided a place and food and clothing me for 90 years of life. Do you think he's not going to look after this today? <laughs> Michael said, well, amen. I have nothing to say to that. <laughs> okay, let's eat some chocolate. So he finally could enjoy the chocolate. So now and every bite he said, oh, 
Michael, this is the best chocolate in the world. And she finishes her chocolate, spent a good couple hours there, and then they find she's an older lady. She ate very slow, Mike said. He said it seemed like an eternity. And they finally get up, and they start walking back to her apartment. And now Michael's saying, okay, sister, so what are we going to do? And she said nothing. And she kept walking. And then she goes up to her house and finds the neighbor starting to move her stuff out into another apartment room. And Mike's like, what are you doing? He says, oh, I knew she was going to be evicted today, so I knew this other place that was available in the same building, down a floor even, so she takes less stairs. And I covered the charge for her. It's all taken care of. And she looks at Michael. See, I told you. And Michael, oh my goodness. He is a God who provides for all of our needs. Amen? Do we believe that? Do we really believe that when it comes down to it, when I don't know what to do, I have no other door to open. I have churned the butter. I have beat every door down, and I don't have a solution. Will I believe God will meet my needs then? Well, amen? It takes faith, doesn't it? Sometimes we call him the last second God, don't we? Right? he'll wait to that last minute that last second to see who will believe blessed are those who believe and yet do not see amen he is a God who meets all of our needs and so I wanted to talk with you about that this morning how we get our needs met can we trust and believe like this old lady who's been, she had a good history with the Lord, didn't she? Right? She had seen God get her through many, many trials and tribulations throughout her life. So her God, when she first started, was probably that big. But how big do you think her God was by the time she's in her 90s and been through all that? Right? This big. Right? Her God got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger to her. Right? That seed of faith that Jesus planted in us just grows and grows and grows. And how does it grow? By coming to choose to believe in Him in the crises that we're facing in our life. Amen? And we allow faith to fill the crisis, faith in God to fill the crisis. So we have faith here, and we have another circle called crisis around that. And God waits till we allow faith in him to fill that crisis, and what happened? Our faith expand, but so too did our God, right? So problems really aren't problems, are they? They're really not problems. Problems are just opportunities for God to prove his faithfulness to you again and again and again. Amen. The problem is, sometimes we don't know how long we're going to be in the problem for, right? And we feel like, is there any hope? Is there any hope? Always hope. But sometimes it's tough, isn't it? Let's be real. Let's be honest. Right? It can be tough. Right? Look at Joseph, for example. Remember the story of Joseph? Coat of many colors. I remember in Sunday school, they had those flannel things, right? You stick the characters on the flannel board. I still remember it. Whenever I think of Joseph, I picture that flannel board with his colorful coat on, 
right? And, um, and Joseph, look at him. How big was his God after he went through all those problems and trials and tribulations from before? Remember, he's promised that, you know, you're going to rule. And his brothers decide, hey, we're a little jealous of you. Dad treats you a little differently. And look at the coat you got. We don't like you. They rip up his coat, pour blood on it, make it look like he was killed by some animal, chuck him in a pit, sell him into slavery. Pharaoh's wife comes on to him. He gets blamed, gets thrown in jail. And I'm sure Joseph thinks, oh yeah, look at me rule now, Lord. Ruling down here in the jail cell. Right? And what had happened to Joseph? He interprets dreams. Pharaoh says, huh, this guy's kind of handy. And what happens? He was second to Pharaoh. Right? Yeah. It's an amazing story. But how big do you think Joseph's God was before all that happened to after? You see my point? And so, can we trust God to provide for all of our needs? Can we trust that he's bigger than we can even imagine? I think as people, we try to get our needs met in so many different ways, don't we? Because we try. We try to open the doors. We try to get over this wall. And then God allows us. And then there's another wall that's even higher. And oh, we just make it over. But finally we hit that wall of enlightenment, that I call it, that I can't get over. I can't do it because my doer's out. And oh, I'm trying to outthink it. I can't. I've hit a wall. And I tried this door, this door, this door, this door, this door. Anybody had that experience? Where I've tried to. And I try to fix the fix that God fixed me in. And when I try to fix the fix that God fixed me in, he fixes another fix to fix me in, and then I'll really be fixed. Did you catch that? Right? And I keep trying to do it over and over and over again, and then I hit that wall. I can't get it. And God says, will you trust me to meet your, all your needs? Will you trust me to provide for you? Will you trust me that I can get you over this wall? Because I want to do it through you. If only you look to me. But we get in those situations, those trials, those tribulations, and we're used to looking in other places, aren't we? If we can be honest, just look at your own life. Where are you looking? Where do you look to get your needs met? Let's, let's talk about that. What are our needs? We know what our physical needs are, right? We learned that in kindergarten, maybe grade one, right? What are, what are our physical needs? Well, we need clothing. Thank the Lord, this is all covered up. We need food, we need liquid, and we need shelter, right? So those are our physical needs, right? And our soul has needs too, right? Our soul consists of our mind, our ability to think, our emotions, our ability to feel, and our will, which is our ability to choose to do, right? We get to choose. A horse can't make, wake up one day and say, I'm going to be a cow today. I'd rather moo than neigh. It can't. It's an amoral being. It must do what it was created to do. But we're moral beings. That means created with choice. An amoral being created without choice. So we get to choose. And so our soul has needs, right? Our mind has a need to be able to think. Our emotions have a need to be able to feel. 
And our will has a need to be able to choose to do. But what are our spiritual needs? That's the deepest core of who we are as people. Amen? Right? That, that is where we should find our identity is in the spirit, right, that he put within us. Right? And so that, but most people find it bodies, right? Hollywood, right? North America, Europe, right? How I look, right? Oh, <laughs> look at me. Did my hair for you today? Tell me I'm good looking. Oh, you're such a tall glass of water, Chad. Oh, that makes me feel so good. I feel so loved. But now what happens if somebody comes and says, whoa, ugly. Well, I'm not going to feel so good anymore, am I? And that'll prove to me. If somebody comes and calls me ugly, that'll prove whether I'm looking to get my needs met through my looks or not by how I react to that response. Right? We want to look to the spirit. What are our spiritual needs? Well, I can sum them up in four words for you. Okay? These are our spiritual needs. I can sum up in four words. Love, purpose, security, and significance. Now, you could add other words to those, like acceptance, belong, affirmation, but all those words are summed up in those first four. Love, purpose, security, and significance. How do I know those are my deep spiritual needs? Well, we know this because how many of you like to feel unloved? I don't love you at all. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad you don't love me. No, we all want to be loved. How do I know that purpose is a deep spiritual need? How many here like to have no purpose in life? No. We know we're, because I want purpose. All of us do. How many of us love to feel insecure? Nobody. I like to feel secure. And how many of you love to feel insignificant? Oh, I'm just a small little tiny pebble in this great big world. Woe is me. No. We have a need for significance. Everybody, I've traveled around the whole world asking these questions. And nobody has told me, I love to feel insignificant, insecure, unlovable, and have no purpose. Nobody said that to me yet. Right? So I know that God's created me with those needs, right? I'm created to be loved, to have purpose, to have significance and security. Right? So those are our deep spiritual needs. The question is, where do you go looking to fill that need for love and purpose and security and significance? It's a great question. And that's the question I want us to think about as I talk with you this morning. So we try to get those needs for love, purpose, security, and significance met in so many ways. Money. You know anybody who looks to money to fill all those needs? Right? To be a success? Right? How many do you know? Wealth. Wealth is what fills me. How about education? Knowledge? Do you know anybody who looks there to get their needs met? Man, I met a guy when I was uh, doing uh, seismic work. He had three doctorates. He had three master's degree degrees, four undergrad degrees. And I'm thinking, what are you doing in the oil patch? Couldn't find a job. But where do you think he found his needs? Well, education. Education will fill me. Right? 
How about a job? You know anybody who finds their life and their work? And what I do? So many of us find our needs in what we do. But we forget we're not called human doings. We're called human beings. Right? We have to first learn what it means to be in Christ. Because the doing things for Him flow naturally out of the being in Him. But what do we do? We look to do right away. Right? We wake up in the morning and we put our doo-doo glasses on. And everywhere I go, I doo-doo. And I'm looking like doo-doo. Because I'm not supposed to do it outside of Him. Amen? So we look to work from what I do. I'm going to find my life there. What happens to people when they retire? Have you ever heard that statistic? Do you know how many people pass away on their retirement night? On their retirement night, from, it's an amazing stat. Because they found their life where? They found their needs met where? In their work. And then the statistics, the statistic of those who shortly pass away after their retirement. Because they have nothing to live for. They found their life in their work. They found their needs in their work. And now it's gone. And they just die. How about family? Do you know anybody who finds their life in their family? <laughs> Maybe not these days. But people will find their life even in their family. Pornography. How much does that run rampant today? Right? We're getting their needs met through that. Drugs and alcohol. Well, that runs rampant in this area. How about church? You know anybody who finds their needs met in church? Oh, come on, Pastor Chad. Really? In church? Are you kidding me? Blasphemy, I tell you. Blasphemy. Well, I remember pastoring down in a church in Lower Mainland, B.C., and I remember this one lady. She, she was the children's ministry director. So she headed up the whole children's ministry. And uh, she was going through a divorce. Her husband decided that he liked men. And so it was just a horrible, oh, she was just going through the ringer, the poor lady. I, I'll never forget this. And she came into my office one day, and she was just having a really tough day. And she's going through this divorce, and she had two kids, and... <clears throat> And she said to me, and I'll never forget this, she looked at me and said, Pastor Chad, please, please don't take away the children's ministry from me. It's all I have. And I looked and I took a step back and I heard the Lord speak. And I never told her I was taking away the children's ministry from her, but she was having all these things taken away and she felt like this is all I have left. And I said, Sister, if you really believe that's all you have left, then it's the very thing I should take away from you. Because you have Christ. You have the living God living inside of you. You have everything. Do you see what I'm saying? Something so simple as church can become an idol. Right? And she was getting her needs met through leading the children's ministry in church. And not in who? In Christ. You see how... Oh, it can be so sneaky, right? And I said, sister, I'm giving you a hiatus for six months. You need to see that Christ meets your needs 
and he'll meet him more than you could ask or imagine. Amen. Anything can become an idol to us, even church. Even church can become an idol. Here, here I'll give you a definition today of what an idol, <coughs> excuse me, of what an idol is, okay? An idol is anything I run to other than Christ in order to get my needs met. That's what an idol is. Anything that I'm running to other than Christ in order to get my needs met for love, purpose, security, and significance. That's what an idol is. Do you agree? Anything can become an idol. It just depends. It's not the what, but the why. It's not what I'm doing, but why I'm doing it. Right? I can go golf, for example. I love golfing. But why am I golfing? Golfing can be good for me. It's exercise. I'm outside. I'm in the sun. Right? Look at this tan I got going on. But it can become bad for me if I'm looking to it to fill my needs for significance. Purpose, right? Do you see the point? Right? So it's not the what, it's the why. It's not what I'm doing, but why I'm doing it. You go to the coffee shop in the morning, and all you hear about is, do you see what they're doing? Could you believe what they're doing? I can't believe what they're doing. I don't care what they're doing. I want to know why they're doing it. Because why gets to the root of it. Why are they doing that? The what doesn't help. But the why gets to the root. I want them to look to Christ. Now, is money bad? Is it evil? Well, no. But when does it become bad? If I'm looking to it to fill my needs. And only you can answer this question. I can't answer for you. Is knowledge, is education bad? No, but it can become bad if you're looking to it to get your needs met. Right? So you understand where I'm going with this? And listen. Evil isn't the enemy of the best. Good becomes the enemy of the best. Do you understand what I'm saying? Evil isn't the enemy. It's good. Because all these things are good, right? Money, job, family, they're all good. But they're not the best. And the best is Jesus. Amen? He's always the best. So we're looking to all these good things. They look good. But what tree did God tell us to stay away from? the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And Christians get confused. Well, I'm doing some ministry. I'm doing a lot of good things. But he wanted you to eat from the tree of life. And who is life? I am the way, the truth, and your life. I am the resurrection and your life. He always wanted us to eat from him. But Christians are busy doing all these good things and they miss the best thing. And the best is always Christ. <laughs> I remember I was, when I was pastoring at a church down in Lower Mainland, B.C., in uh, Coquitlam. And I remember this, uh, this, this one guy came in. And he came in to see me. And, uh, and he said, Pastor Chad, 
can I come in? I said, sure, come on in, brother. And he sits down. He says, you know what? I'm in a great place right now. I said, well, that's awesome. He says, you know what? I'm going to be the best husband that any wife has ever had. I'm going to focus on being the absolute best husband. All you women out here saying, great, good. This is good. Keep talking, brother. Preach it, preach it. I'm going to be the best husband. And you know what? I'm going to be the best father that any kid has ever had. And he's going, I'm going to focus on being the best husband. I'm going to focus on being the best father. And then he gets up and he was telling me and he starts walking away out of my office and I rolled my chair up to the door and I said, it's not going to happen. And I rolled back. And I could see his face through my window. This, like, it had this look that said, what kind of pastor are you? And he comes back, he says, why would you say that? He says, I, I just told you some great stuff, and what, are you trying to discourage me? I said, brother, sit down. He says, no, I don't want to sit down anymore. I said, brother, just sit down for a second. I, I have a revelation to give you. So he sits down. I convinced him with the revelation. And I said, brother, it's good that you want to be a great husband to your wife. And it's good that you want to be a great father for your kids but it's not the best he says what do you mean i said well god gave me the revelation here it comes that good has become the enemy the best and best is jesus i said you look to him and the great husband will naturally come you look to him and the great father will naturally come don't let the good become the enemy the best because you can't do it. Do we not believe what John said or Jesus said to John and John recorded it in the book of John? Remember? Apart from me, you can do all things. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Bad pastor. Apart from me, you can do some things. No. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nada. You can't do it. Have you come to believe that yet? Apart from him, we can do nothing. We can't do nothing at all. Don't let good become the enemy of the best. All these things that I said, money, education, work, family, they're all good things. But they're not the best thing, and the best is Christ. See, my prayers have changed over the years. Right? They've used to change. And I would... You know, I've been a preacher and a counselor for quite some time, and I say, God, would you please give me the words to say to the people? God, would you please give me the words to say to this person who's coming for counseling today? God, would you give me the words to speak at New Hope Gospel Church? I don't pray that anymore. My prayers have changed to this now. God, would you come and be my very words to the people? God, would you come and be what I am not. I don't want to give them something like you. I want to give them exactly you. So you become be exactly you through me to the people. Because your name is I am, and my name is I am not. <laughs> Amen. You see how sneaky it can be? See, I've gone through three different phases over my Christian life. When I first came to Christ, I saw God as master, right? Or sorry, as savior. He saved me. 
right? You saved me from a whole bunch of things in my life. So I first just saw God as Savior. And then as I grew, I saw him as Master, as Lord of my life, right? He was first Savior, then I started to see your Lord, your Master over my life. And now I've changed another gear, and I see him as not just Savior, not just Lord, but as my very life. And that's where my prayers have changed from give me the words to be my words. Right? Make me a great dad to you be the dad through me. You see the difference? Right? I don't want to give people, I don't want to give my wife, I don't want to give my kids something like him. I want them to have exactly him. Amen? Because that's what we need. We don't need something fake or kind of like it right it's like my wife always says she goes why can't here just take this ibuprofen i said no i want the advil that's the real advil don't give me the fake stuff that your drugstore sells i want the real thing amen we want the real thing we want to give people exactly him you know, we get our needs met in so many different ways by being the center of attention. You know anybody who's like that? They always have to be the center of attention, right? And it just fills them. Oh, but do you ever see them when they're not the center of attention? They're off in a corner sulking, right? I, see, I saw this in youth ministry all the time, right? Because at, te- at the teenager point, teenagers, they're a different breed, aren't they? You know, I've gone through a couple of kids now who are in their teenage years, and I finally understand why some animals eat their young. I finally get it. That teenage years can be, it's a wild few years. And in youth ministry, kids become so selfish, right? And some kids really love to be that center of attention. Others don't. It depends on their temperament. And I remember watching, right? And I've observed at youth ministry nights, and that kid, oh, everybody's around them, and he's loving it. He's just filling up his flesh with all of this attention. And then there'll come a time where nobody's giving them attention anymore, and I see them off in the corner. And everybody's, oh, what happened to so-and-so? And then they see him, and everybody comes, oh, are you okay? And he's like, oh, yeah, well, I just, you know, I'm going through a tough time right now. I'm like, oh, my goodness, look at that flesh just flaring up. Right? We do it all the time. Right? Even trying to be the center of attention, we can try and get our needs met. I want you to ask yourself right here this morning, okay? Here's the question I want you guys to think about over this week, okay? Really think about it. I really want you to delve. Have some quiet time and do some introspection. It's really good to do. And I want you to ask yourself this question. Where am I looking and what am I looking to in order to get my needs met? for love, purpose, security, and significance. Where am I looking and what am I looking to? Am I looking to Christ in this area of my life? Am I looking to him in this area of my life? Am I looking to God with my work? Am I looking to God with my finances? Am I looking to God with my family? Where am I looking and what am I looking to in order to get that need met for security, for significance? Can we not all sit here right now today 
and think about our lives and the years that have passed? And can, I, can you not sit here today and say, man, I have a good history with the Lord? I mean, we're still here, right? We're doing fine. Not starving, that's for sure. Right? God has looked after me. He's given me some layers of warmth over the years. I'm provided for. Never gone hungry. I got clothes. Look at these nice clothes and threads I got on them. Right? He's never let me go by. Just think about your life and say, man, has God not got me through everything? I'm still here. I'm still going. Right? Remember Matthew chapter 6, the do not worry? Right? Do not worry. And he says, look at the lilies of the field and their splendor. Do I not look after them? Do I not make sure they get water and sunlight to grow and grace the earth for you to look at and enjoy? Look at the birds of the air, he says. They don't even store or save up. Right? How many of us, oh, I should have a savings account, but I just don't have money to put in that. Say, what, what do I do? And God says, well, look at the birds of the air. They don't even store or save up. And yet, do I not look after them? How much more, Jesus says, will I look after you? How much more? Not just, will I not look after you? No, he says, how much more will I look after you, my sons and my daughters? A good dad always looks after his children, doesn't he? Isn't that what a good father does? He always looks after his kids. Right? See, when I grew up in my home, I, I never, it wasn't even a blip on my radar map to worry about clothes or food. My life. I just knew dad's looking after it. Can you imagine if you woke up every day with that? Pfft, I got no worries. Dad's looking after it. And that's how God wants us to live our life. See, I have a 13-year-old son, and he was out in Manitoba visiting my mom and dad, his grandma and grandpa. And he gets home right away, and what does he want to do? He wants to play. See, he's been in the car for nine hours. No, he wants to play. He calls up a buddy. You want to go golf? Yeah, let's go golf. So they all go golfing, and he's just in the vehicle. He just wants to play. Now, I don't know about your kids, but every morning my kid wakes up, he wants to play. That's why he hates going to school because I don't get to play. I get to play a little bit. I don't want to work at school. And that's how God wants us to live. We're looked after, amen? We're looked after. I'm Abba Father. That's Daddy Father. That's an endearing, intimate word. for right? It's not just Father. Father! It's Dad. Daddy. Dad, I know you're going to look after me. You got me. Look at me. I'm still here. I'm still alive. We have a good history with the Lord. He will meet your needs. But if you look to Him. See, there's the ticket. Right? Is where am I looking to? Because if you're not looking to Him and you're looking everywhere else, then He can't meet your needs. Right? Because you get choice, don't you? Right? Does the Bible not say that God is love? All over Scripture, right? God is love. 
right? But love has to give choice, doesn't it? See, if my wife forces me to love her, which she just does all the time, just kidding, but if she forces me to love her, is that love? No. What makes it love? That I have the choice to love her back. See, if God made us love him, how would he really know we love him? So he had to give us choice, didn't he? Right? We get to choose. And so if you're looking everywhere else, that's your choice. And so God can't meet your needs now because you're choosing those other things to fill you up. And God patiently waits. Isn't he patient, God? Go ahead, try that. Go ahead, try that. I'm still here. I'm, I'm waiting. Man, we would just expedite the process if we just looked to him right away. But God knows there's things to work out of us, right? Just like the Israelites, right? How long did they wander in the wilderness for? 40 years. What was God doing? Bleeding out all of their idols that they were looking to until they were finally satisfied with just Him. Right? Then they could enter the promised land. And you will enter the promised land flowing with milk and honey. Well, I guess that's what was appealing on that day. Grapes, where the good grapes grow, in the morning to the night, and everybody looked. Remember that song? Jesus. Right? When we look to Him, you will find that you get to enter the promised land. Remember the disciples toiling on the boat with Jesus? Remember the storms raging all around them? And what's Jesus doing? He's sleeping in the storm. I don't blame the disciples. I would have looked at like, this man's nuts. How can he sleep in the middle of a storm? They're not on a cruise ship here, folks. They're on a little boat, a tiny fishing boat. And there's a storm raging. And what do the disciples see? They see the storm, right? They didn't see the Son of the living God. There's the key. And then they look to him. And Jesus comes up. What's the problem? Uh, everything that's going on around us? Do you not see the waves about to sink us? And Jesus is like, boys, boys, cease. Whew. Peace. And now they see him, don't they? Oh, you of little faith. When are you going to learn? You got me. I'm right here. Look to me. Don't see the storm. Look to me. And you've had me share this many, many times here in this church. <clears throat> and this is my simple message. I can put it down to this. You have Christ on one hand and your problems on the other, the storms of your life on the other. And if the storms of your life become your focus, you no longer see him anymore, do you? All I can see is my problems, my storms, my tribulations. Right? I can't see him anymore because I put my focus here. I look to here just like the disciples. But if Christ becomes my focus, what happens to the problem? It gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Why? 
because I see the solution to every problem in my life. I see the God who looks after everything. I see Dad who always provides for my needs. Amen? Here, we let the problem eclipse the sun. S-O-N, sun. I can't see the sun. But when we see him, what happens? He eclipses the problem. And we're not like, oh man, I can't see the problem. Let me see the problem. No, because I see him. Amen. The Christian life can be summed up in getting our eyes back to him. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. I knew I was going to be emotional when Jamie had to sing that first song this morning. In the light of his glory and grace. Songs just don't even become songs anymore, right? They become a message to your heart. Yeah, I, you know, I've sung that sings I remember when I was a kid, <laughs> singing that song for years. But then you think about what kind of dad you have and who looks after it all the time, and it becomes something meaningful, doesn't it? The things of the world grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. See, the disciples are toiling on that boat and they're wondering, how are we going to get to shore? <laughs> this storm is raging on. But they arrived at the shore when? When they got their eyes off of the problem and onto him. And they arrived where they were supposed to be. So as we walk in this Christian life, the goal every day is to get our eyes back to him. Amen? You want victory in your life? Victory is merely the simple principle of keeping my focus on Christ. That's it. Then we'll get there. Then we'll always be where we... You know, we always think, oh, I should be further down the road in my Christian life, don't we? How many of you have said that? Right? I should be further along. No, no. You're right where you need to be. God knows your life. He knows what you've been taught. He knows what messages you received that you shouldn't have. And he's working all that out in your life. And he knows the exact situations and the exact experiences and the exact things that you need to go through till you work that out until you see just him. And you're looking to him, amen? So I never have to worry because I have a good, good God. Amen. Amen. Okay. There go the tears. It's just good news, isn't it? It's tears of joy. It is. It's just tears of joy because how can you lose when you have Christ? See, that's what I love about the Christian life. Even when I screw up, I still win because God 
puts nothing to waste. He uses it for my good. Didn't he promise that? I will work a few things for the good of those who love me. I will work nothing for the good of those who love me. No, he says, I will work everything. And I did a word study on that in a seminary class I took. Do you know what that word actually means? It actually means everything. I wasted two months of my life. Oh, me of little faith. It actually means everything. I will work everything for your good. So even when you mess up, he's still going to work it for good in your life. Amen? Like, we just can't lose. And when you start to see that and start to believe it in the heart of hearts, it will move you to tears because <laughs> you realize how good I have it, how great my God really is. Okay, it's quarter two. Tyson didn't even give me the land the plane, Chad. Land the plane. I'll end with this. And uh, it's this lovely story um, that I heard in one of my travels, a true story. And it was about this grandma, another grandma. This is the story of grandmas today. This has probably reminded me of it because of the other story I was thinking of. But this is a great way to put it to end um, this message today. And there was this grandma, and she had a daughter um, who, uh, whose husband divorced her, and she had, uh, she had a kid, and so she didn't have a lot of money. She's trying to keep up with rent, trying to pay all the bills. And so she asked her mom, um, if, mom, if I get a quick call in, in, in and I can pick up a shift, would you be able to take uh, Lucy? could you take her for me so I can work because I need the extra money? And her mom, of course, said, oh, of course, dear. Yes, if you ever, I'm retired now, I would love to take Lucy, get to know my granddaughter more and more. So one morning, um, her daughter called her up and said, mom, can you take Lucy today? I just got a call this morning. I can pick up an extra shift. And he said, oh, yep, sure, bring her on over. And so grandma's thinking, okay, I got to keep Lucy occupied. She's a busy kid. What are we going to do today with Lucy? And so she thought, oh, I think I'll start her off with a jigsaw puzzle because she wanted to finish knitting a sweater she was actually making for Lucy. And so Lucy comes over and, and her daughter drops her off and says, thanks, Mom, goodbye, have a great day, and I'll, I'll come pick her up before supper time. And so Grandma says, come on in, Lucy, gives her a big hug. She goes, here, and out in the living room, on, on the table out in the living room, uh, she had a puzzle, right? She goes, here, I got all the puzzle pieces I'm um, set up for you. And I want you to do this jigsaw puzzle. And, uh, and I'll just be in the kitchen, dear, and I'm knitting something. I didn't want to tell her what it was. And uh, so Lucy sits down, and she's looking at this jigsaw puzzle, and Grandma sits there knitting the sweater for her. And she can hear Lucy getting frustrated out in the living room. Oh, oh this doesn't fit. Where does this one go when I thought it fit here? And Lucy's getting all frustrated. And she goes, Grandma, you gave me too hard of a jigsaw puzzle. Is this for my age even? This puzzle is way too difficult. I can't figure this one out. Why would you give me a puzzle that's too old for me? And Grandma comes in and calms her. Settle down, Lucy. Okay, help me flip all the pieces to the other side. So they take all the pieces and they flip all the pieces to the other side. And then Grandma goes back and sits down in the kitchen and starts knitting again. And she's knitting away and Lucy has it done in like five minutes. She goes, Grandma, this was so easy. This was so much easier. Why didn't you have start on this side? 
and she's all excited and, and, and she comes in and she, and she says, Lucy, what is it a picture of? It's a picture of Jesus that was so easy to come together. We should have just started on that side. And then grandma had a piece of cardboard and she slid the puzzle onto the cardboard and then flipped it to the other side. And she says, what's that? Oh, it's a picture of the world. She said, grandma, that was so much harder to put together. And Grandma and all of her wisdom said this. You see, Lucy, when Jesus comes together in your life, your whole world will naturally come together. Amen. What a great teachable moment, huh? We try to piece the things in this world together and it gets complicated, doesn't it? It's so complicated. I'm trying to get my finances worked out, my job worked out, my kids worked out, myself worked out. And it's so complicated, just like Lucy trying to put the world together. And Grandma in her wisdom flips it over and she gets Jesus in five minutes. And Grandma, with all of her wisdom, says, when Jesus comes together in your life, your whole world will naturally come together. Amen? Can it be that simple? So simple, people simply won't believe it. But Jesus said, this message is for the very weakest person. So I made it simple. Believe in me, and I will receive you. And I'll work my life through you over the course of your life here on planet Earth. Just look to me, right? Look to me. Come to me. How many, how many times does it say that in the Gospels? Come to me. Come to me. Come to me. Come to me. But where are we going? I'm going to McDonald's to fill me. I'm going to a bowl of ice cream to fill me. I'm going to pornography. I'm going to my job. I'm going to my finance. We're going to all these things. And Jesus says, no, no, come to me. I made this message so the very weakest person in this world could receive it. It's simple. Just keep your eyes on me. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full, full all your attention look full in his wonderful face and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace where do we look to Jesus where is he living does he live in here it's a book it's a good book but he doesn't live here does he Jesus no, where does he live? Mi corazón, in my heart. Good morning, Jesus. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Good morning, Father. Oh, you're so welcome here. I'm so glad you live in me because I need you every second of every day. I get so distracted and my eyes are turning and looking everywhere. Thank you that all I have to do is look right here. Jesus says, I am my Father. I've come and made our home in you. Your bodies are now the temple for our holy dwelling. Is that not amazing? That's the mystery of the Christian life. Paul calls it the mystery. The mystery of the gospel, which is Christ in you, your only hope of glory. It is a mystery. How does God do that? How do you live in here? I don't know how, but I'm so glad you do. Because <laughs> it's not me who makes me clean every day. It's you. 
You make me clean. You bring me joy. You bring me excitement. But if you're looking everywhere else, he cannot be to you what you want. Do you remember the story of the glasses my mother-in-law? Remember, do I, did I tell you? I told you that story here, right? My mother-in-law went looking for glasses and she couldn't find them. She's late for work. And I had the joy of, as being the son-in-law, to tell her where her glasses were. And she's looking at me, well, aren't you going to help? Marie, what? They're on your head. Oh, 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 oh. She walks off to work. See, she had her glasses, didn't she? She had them. But she didn't see that she had them. Why? Because she was looking everywhere else for them. And because she went looking for what she already had, she lost what she had, didn't she? And it's the same that happens in our Christian life. As long as you're looking everywhere else, you don't see what you have, do you? You're doing this. Oh, where's my joy in this life? Where's my joy? Where's my joy? Well, you have joy if you just look to Him. You have it, but you're looking to this and to that for your joy. Oh, where's my victory in this life? I just want to win at something. Well, you have victory in Him. Just look to Him. It's right there. But as long as you're looking everywhere else, you won't see what you have. Oh, oh. Amen? So that's the goal. All of those other things are trying to be the outside working into your life. The beauty that he has is he's on the inside and trying to work his way out of you. For the Christian, Jesus isn't knocking on the door to get in. He's knocking on your door to get out. Let me out. Let me out. I'm right here. Look to him who lives with him. Amen? Okay, that's my final pastor. Amen. As Jamie comes up, let's pray. And uh, as we sing this last song, Father God, thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your greatness and your gentleness. Thank you for your patience with us, Lord. But you're patient because you know what you need to bring us through till we see you in every area of our life. And Lord, I pray for everybody who's listening in today on the video, everybody who's sitting here in these seats today. I pray for all of us that God, by the end of our life, I believe we're all going to become windows. And what I mean by that is that when I look at a window, I don't see the window. I see what's beyond the window. And I pray that we all become windows so that when people look at us, they don't see anything else but you, Lord. Your love, your grace, your kindness, your gentleness, your patience. I pray that we all become that. Lord, let us look to you. Help us, Lord in every area of our life to just see you, which will bring us our victory and joy in our life. And I ask this, Jesus, in your name. That's such a powerful thing to pray in Jesus' name that holds power and grace. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we as God's children pray these things. And all of God's children said, Amen. Amen. All right, Jesus. And uh, thank you, Lord, for speaking that message.